Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bankrupt Hippo YouTube channel. I'm Bryce, and this is another episode of The Handmaid's Tale Talk. For this episode, we're going to talk about Season 4, Episode 5, which is Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, if you like what you're hearing and seeing, feel free to like, comment, and subscribe for more Handmaid's Tale content and also other movies, video games, and even women's soccer-related stuff, too. I talk about all that good stuff, too. All right, so let's get right into the episode. So basically in this episode, we explore two different paths. I like to do these talks by going through each one separately because it, to me it's just a lot less confusing than trying to go through the whole episode chronologically because I think the episodes jump around a lot. But nonetheless, the two avenues we're going to explore for this episode is going to be the Avenue of Gilead and the Avenue of Chicago. So we'll start off what I with what I think is the lesser of the two interesting avenues. First, we'll start off with Gilead. So basically, in this episode, Commander Lauren approaches the council and says, hey, I want to propose a ceasefire on all of our uh, contested fronts, which include Chicago, Texas, and I think he said one other place. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. I'd have to go back and check. But anyways, the reason being he proposes a ceasefire to the council of Gilead is because of the fact that he says, hey, you can't win wars just with bullets. You have to be a little bit more strategic. We need money. We need economic needs in order to keep up the fight. And basically, the council basically shits on that um, proposal. They think it's interesting, but they're like, no, we can crush our enemies. We have a really strong military. And that's one thing that they make pretty clear in this episode is that they have a very strong military, but I'll touch on that in just a little bit. So basically... Like I said, Council tells him no, and then Commander Lawrence in private basically tells Nick, hey, just so you know, June might be in one of those contested areas, Chicago included, so you might want to rethink what you're saying. And Nick's like, look, I if June was in one of those areas, I'd know about it. And then he's like, all right, we'll see. Well, Nick follows up on that, and Nick actually does find out that June is, in fact, in Chicago. So he goes up to Commander Lawrence and tells him, hey, I'll support you in whatever you need because... You don't want to keep up a war going where the person you love is obviously occupying, right? So that makes for some really, really interesting stuff going forward. But meanwhile, while all of this is going on, we actually get a glimpse back in Aunt Lydia. And Aunt Lydia is still recovering from her injuries. You can tell that her facial scars have healed, her bruising's healed. She is pretty much back in full health. In fact, when we see her, she's like walking on the treadmill, just kind of looking outside and observing. And she sees the next, what she calls, class of handmaids. Um, being, uh, I guess, talked to by their, their aunt for doing whatever they, it is that they do. But in the middle of this, she's actually interrupted by another aunt, one who is, I believe, of superior ranking. And she basically tells her, hey, you're no longer going to be taking charge of any handmaids. And this really crushes Aunt Lydia because it's really, it, it's what she... It's what she lives for, you know? It, it's something that she has proven time and time and again in this episode that she she lives to basically for lack of a better term train and guide handmaid so she'll do anything she can to retain that post and this kind of harks back a little bit to our ep to our conversation from last week's episode where i posed the question will aunt lydia ever change her mind about gilead will she ever will her mind and her set of thinking ever shift back to what it was like pre-gilead and i think this is evidence to that she never will i think she truly believes in what Gilead is doing and what she is doing, so I don't think we'll ever see her character really change in that respect throughout the episode, but I just wanted to touch on that a little bit before moving out in, in within this episode. So I don't think she'll change very much on her stance on that, so um, just keep that in mind going forward. So basically, 
She'll do anything to get back her post. So what does she do? She goes to Commander Lawrence first and she blackmails him. She basically says, hey, I have a lot of dirt on you and I can make life very difficult for you. So I want you to reinstate me right now. And Commander Lawrence is like, oh, you're going to have to do better than that. What other dirt do you have on all of the other commanders? Because of the fact of this. Commander Lawrence, in order to get his ceasefire would be and have more power in general, would be much better suited if he were actually on the council because he'd have a lot more say in what's going on. And Aunt Lydia would also benefit from that because if he has more say on the council, he can reinstate Aunt Lydia immediately. And since he's on the council, nobody's going to say anything otherwise. So he basically proposes, hey, Aunt Lydia, why don't we team up? Because I know you have dirt on the other commanders on the council. And if we use that, I get what I want and you get what you want. And then Aunt Lydia says, okay, fine, but on one condition, we get June back here and I get to discipline her. And then he says, yeah, I, that's fine with me. And I'm like, wow, holy shit, okay. So now they're going to team up and blackmail basically all the other commanders on the council. And plus, for Commander Lawrence to say, I could live with that, to Aunt Lydia wanting June back to discipline her, I... It makes me wonder about him as a character again because when June was escaping, uh, was escaping, um, or I'm sorry, helping all of the other Martha's children and handmaids escape, he seemed very hellbent on cleaning up his mess, as as he put it. And I think there's just this is just more evidence of the contrary. I don't know if he actually meant what he what he said when he said that or not, but I guess we'll have to kind of keep and keep that in mind and stay tuned to find out but anyways um i think it commander lawrence is kind of like going back to his old ways of being in the strength of gilead and i have a small theory and small caveat on this that it, it makes me wonder it's like okay is he going back to his old ways there was all that stuff he told june just bullshit or is he actually trying to get to the very top of gilead in order to just tear it all down one day because if he can for lack of a better term infiltrate the council and then become for lack of a better term the head the leader of gilead he could hypothetically change everything and tear it back down again to ashes and return the world to what its normal state was like before gilead so i don't with, with what he's been doing i don't think that my theory is going to be correct but i can dream can i and i guess we'll have to stay um stay in tune to find out throughout the other episodes but it'd be a really fascinating strategy if my theory were correct so i guess we'll have just to, to wait and find out but anyways so commander lawrence is now they go through with their plan aunt lydia blackmails the other commanders commander lawrence is now on the council he gets what he wants and nick basically he tells the council in one of their meetings hey I want to revisit the ceasefire because now that he knows that June is in Chicago, he's kind of rethinking his situation. Like I mentioned earlier before we trailed off Aunt Lydia, he tells Commander Lawrence, I'll support you whenever you need. Well, Nick is getting ready right now to have the conversation and support Commander Lawrence, but then as soon as he brings it up, all the commanders are like, oh yeah, we, we totally support it now. And Nick's kind of like, wait, you guys were so opposed not too long ago. What, you know, what, what changed? And they say oh yeah um we forgot to tell you and commander lawrence is at this table at the same token um that showing us as the audience that he's now on the council and he's like oh yeah we forgot to tell you right before the ceasefire you're going to coordinate an attack and you're going to bomb the living hell out of all these different contested areas and then we're going to send in aid to help everybody out so basically what happened is commander lawrence is now cr double crossed nick 
And now Nick has to basically co coordinate a large mass scale bombing where June is currently occupied. So very interesting to see what the fallout between Nick and Commander Lawrence is going to be for the next few episodes because of the fact that it's like, okay, to me they're on the same team. Nick saved Commander Lawrence's ass in the very first episode when convincing the council to bring him in as a consultant. And now he's kind of stomping on that, which I think is a really questionable move and idea, but I'm curious to see how the show is going to play out that situation in particular, but there's a very, I think this particular moment is very telling of Gilead's philosophy, because like I said, they're going to do this bombing and then they're going to send in aid immediately after. So what they're doing is they're doing the strategy where they hurt their enemies and they heal them. They hurt their enemies and they heal them. And this is going to sound a little morbid, but it's a really, to me, it's a really fascinating tactic to use on your enemies. I don't know if you guys, it, just stay with me on this for a second here, but I think that if, you, if any of you have ever read the book by George Orwell, 1984, there's moments in there where they talk about when you use this, this strategy of you hurt your enemies and then you heal them, you hurt them, you heal them, you hurt them, you heal them. You start to develop this cadence in the situation you're in against your enemies where you're showing that you have control over them in whatever situation you're in. And in a really weird way, it makes your enemies develop a sort of love for you, which I think is just, there's a psychological phenomenon in there that, that's really fascinating that I think Gilead is using. I'm not knowledgeable enough on it in particular to give you more details, but I think that the fact that Gilead is using this is very interesting like i said it sounds morbid as hell but it's just weird that they would use this tactic and there must be a reason that they're doing it so it's like are they trying in a weird way to get enemies on their side are they just trying to show their power over them because either way this option would might might work and it's really scary because one like i mentioned earlier they make clear in this episode that gilead's military is extremely powerful and two what does that mean for the larger world of the handmaid's tale like is gilead just going to keep growing will the rest of the world have to step in and stop Gilead from what they're doing what how does the rest of the world besides Canada feel about this whole situation because sooner or later it could probably start a world war but I'd be fascinated to see how further episodes get into that I think this is what this is all leading to but we'll have to stay excuse me stay in tune to find out so really really fascinating stuff but that pretty much does it for going through the Gilead Avenue of this episode. Now we got to cut back into Chicago and June and Janine's situation. So basically to start off in this episode, June is daydreaming, nightdreaming. I can't really quite tell from the episode, but she's daydreaming about when her and Luke first started um, getting together and she's starting to dream about him. And I think that's just kind of showing us as the audience, like, Hey, She's still thinking about Luke, like Luke hasn't left her mind. So again, just kind of going back to the whole love triangle thing between Luke, Nick, and June to see how that's going to play out by the end of the series. But I just thought that was a very interesting small little footnote in the episode. That's really the only thing they address with Luke at all. But um, anyways, we see Janine and Steven. Steven is the leader of this group that they've now kind of met up with, and they start to form a bit of a love connection, which is really interesting. Um in a world like Gilead where we really don't see a lot of genuine love connections like that form it's kind of refreshing to see that start to develop and unfold before us so I just thought it was kind of oddly nice I guess like I said in the world of the handmaid's tale not very many positives come out of that and I just thought that was a nice little positive that the episode threw into there 
but there's definitely reasons for it. I'll touch on that in just a second. But anyways, in this episode, you can kind of tell June is craving to fight. June wants to be part of a rebellion that makes a difference, like, by literally fighting. They allude to it several times, the first of which is, like I said, at the very beginning. She wakes up and she hears bombings going on outside, like night raids, things like that. That's pretty normal in war. And instead of June, like, cowering or trying to hide from it, she actually gets a lamp, calmly walks up to the what I think is the top floors of the building and just watches the fight go on like without even batting an eye and then fast forward a little bit more they keep the show keeps putting in these subtle moments of June actually like staring at weapons and guns and things like that I believe they do it two or three times and they do it very the camera work on this is very very solid and I think the show subtly tells us this very well it just shows June just stopping, looking, and then the camera kind of pans to the weapons, just fixates on it for a few seconds. And then I think it it, it really nicely gets that message across, like, hey, June is, June, her, her mind is on the fight above anything else without beating us over the head with it. I think they might take it a little bit too far by the end of the episode, but then again, they still get the point across without, I think, going too overboard with it, and I thought that was really interesting. And it shows us, as the audience, where June's mind is at overall and this is evidenced even further like i said they still kind of pursue that a little bit more because june actually asks steven to help them with their trade to actually go from place to place to conduct trade in dangerous areas because like i said june wants to be part of the fight well steven agrees with the help of janine because like i said earlier steven and janine have a love connection janine vouches for june and they all go on this mission together to go trade some supplies well along the way June actually gets a glimpse of two soldiers, two Gilead soldiers, lying on the ground, and they're burnt to a crisp. Like, they are, like, you, you could tell they were burnt from whatever fight they were in. But um, instead of, June does something really interesting in the scene. Instead of, like, being mortified by, like, the sight of two burnt soldiers, June actually, like, gets closer and, like, looks at their badge, like, the Gilead patch on their shoulder. And, like, starts, like, touching it. And, again, I think it's just showing us June is not shying away from the fight. She is ready for the fight. And they they, they take this even further. And Steven says, oh, yeah, Nighthawks probably did this. Um, they're basically a rebellion group that all they do is kill soldiers. June, you'd love them. So, again, subtly telling us, hey, June is looking for the fight. So, um they keep going on their um, on their journey to go trade these supplies. Well, they run into a Gilead patrol, and they've obviously got to hide because they could get gunned down and killed, and June and Janine aren't even armed at this point. So they're basically hiding, and, and, and while they're hiding, June tells Steven, hey, we can take them, like, start returning fire, and then Steven says, hey, shut the hell up, <laughs> keep, keep hiding. Well, after the Gilead patrol leaves, June tells Stephen, why didn't you take them? Like, we, we could have won the fight. And then Stephen brings up a really interesting point that reveals a few things. He says, okay, that's great. We, we probably could, but what happens when they don't return to their post? Well, more patrols come around. It makes it harder to move around. and makes it harder to trade supplies. So it, th- I think this, this particular moment, this particular sh- scene shows a few things. One, June, again, like I've said like probably three or four times already, she wants the fight, and there's no stopping her. That's that's all that's on her mind. Two, it also shows her recklessness a little bit. June is so focused on just killing Gilead soldiers that um, 
she's kind of forgetting the other logistics that go into it. But Stephen, as a leader of, I guess, a pseudo-militaristic group, I would basically more call him a nomad group than anything. He points out that it's not that simple to just point, aim, and fire in order to win things like this. You have to be strategic. You have to think in the grander scheme of things in order to win these fights because winning in the micro doesn't necessarily mean winning in the macro. There's other implications that go on. And I think it exposes June's lack of knowledge in being um, well-versed in militaristic-style things. And I just thought it was really interesting because it's like June is an exceptional leader. She shows this that many times, but also so just she's not quite ready to be a militant in this rebellion just yet. She needs a little bit more help in that aspect. So we'll see how that ends up turning out but i think the third thing is i already kind of touched on this a little bit is that steven's group is more of a survival group less so than a rebellion group they're not there to win fights at all costs they're there to essentially survive which i think which is why i think they're more of a nomad group than anything the less of a militaristic group i think the nighthawks that they allude to would probably suit um june's needs a little bit more into just wanting to fight to win the fight at all costs and it shows there's a misalignment between a lot of these groups in these contested territories is that not all of them are resistance like it's not black and white like june thinks it is some of them are just trying to survive some of them are trying to win a war and fight and not all of them are aligned to the same thing i think that's very eye-opening for june and it basically leads her to the conclusion okay if i'm gonna do what i want to do this isn't the group that i need to be with i need to go be with the nighthawks so she basically finds out from somebody else at the camp named Brad. I, th- I I'm not going to talk about Brad too much because I think he's a footnote in this episode. I guess time will tell. But she basically befriends this guy named Brad. He gives her information on where to find the Nighthawks, and she tells Janine, "Hey, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. Let's go." And Janine says, "Hang on a second. Wait, wait, wait. You're leaving, but what if I want to stay?" And June basically tells Janine, "Like you're crazy." And Janine's like, "Well, what if I?" basically fallen in love with Stephen. what if i want to stay here and just live a life and june's like well janine he's just using you and all that other good stuff and they basically hash out another conversation like in last episode where they're throwing jabs at each other they're throwing very some of them are haymakers because some of the things they say to each other are absolutely crazy you guys if you've seen the episode know what i'm talking about but um the content of the conversation isn't too important, but I look at these conversations between June and Janine as basically moments of character growth between them. You have hard knocks between two people that love each other. I would say June and Janine, after all they've been through, they love each other, and they, they, they've, they've, these conversations form stronger bonds between the two, and I think that's what the episode is really showing us, is that by them having these harder conversations, it shows that they're stronger than what we even think that they might be as the audience so i think it's a it's an interesting little dynamic and i it, it's very it very much reminds me of a mother daughter dynamic june being the mother janine being the daughter or june is just trying to do her best because she's so used to looking after so many people that she's just trying to help people survive she wants them to grow she doesn't want to see them get hurt and janine is kind of like the daughter in this situation where she's like I understand that and I love you for it, but at the end of the day, I want to make my own decisions and go out on my own. I want to be independent and leave the nest, as it were. So really, really interesting um, dynamic and also character growth overall. So they have their feud, they go their separate ways, and June is leaving, and Janine says, you know, goodbye, I'm staying here, that's that, my decision's final. And so Janine, and Jan, Janine, June ends up leaving on her merry way. 
Well, actually, about two minutes later in the episode, and this is very interesting choice, I think, for the show. Two minutes later, June thinks that she hears somebody, like, behind her, so she hides, and it's just Janine catching up with her, and Janine says, you know, I, 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 I just want to be with you, you know, handmaids always walk in pairs, and so they just go on their merry way, which... I'll talk about the implications about that in just a second, but anyways, keep keeping on going. They get to a Gilead checkpoint, and both of them are really puzzled because there's no soldiers around at all. There's, like, no one around, and they even notice that, like, food was left on tables, and they're like, oh my god, they even left the food here? Like, why would they do that? And June obviously is noticing that something's wrong. Well, as she's figuring out and piecing together something's wrong, what appears but fighter planes overhead coming to bomb Chicago? Because, like I mentioned earlier, all of the commander council agreed to a bombing before they did their ceasefire, and now that's coming to fruition, and now the streets are getting bombed as June and Janine are sitting there in the middle of it. And basically, they get bombed, and they both get knocked unconscious. At least, I think they both get knocked unconscious. And June wakes up, running around looking for Janine, and... I'm going to be really disappointed. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to be really disappointed if Janine died as a result of those bombings. I think that would be a very, very disappointing thing, at least for me as an audience member, me personally in this episode, because what I think it would have been much more fitting ending for Janine's character. If they were just going to end Janine's character overall, I think it would have been much more fitting and much more suitable for the show if Janine did die in that bombing, if she would have just stayed with Steven and that group and just started a new chapter in her life and just went about her merry way, because it would have shown Janine's character growth of being independent, wanting to um, live her own life in the way that she envisions it. And it would have fit her character a lot more to stay with Steven in that respect because she could have started that chapter of her life. But instead, if she chose to go with June and just died five minutes later. One, it's a waste, I think, of a lot of potential buildup that they've had for Janine going going through this season so far, and it would just make for more weight on June's shoulders that she frankly doesn't need. Like, she's already had to deal with the death of a lot of her friends that were handmaids, Alma, and oh, I can't remember her name, those two that died on the train, all the people that helped her, um, her craft the plan for all the Marthas to handmaids and children escape all those people who died, and it'd just be another person to add to June's list that has paid for paid the price for whatever decisions she's made, and I just think that the show has kind of beaten that to death, so if, if Janine did in fact die in the bombings because they don't reveal it explicitly in this episode, I think that would be a very bad move for the show in general, and I think it would have been a much more... Um, a much more organic and natural approach if Janine just stayed with them. But like I said, that is with the caveat that Janine died in the bombings. If she didn't die in the bombings, well then fine, it's it's all good, all is forgiven. But I just wanted to touch on that a little bit because I'm really curious in the next episode to see what exactly happened to Janine. And if they did kill her off in this episode, I think it'd actually be a big indicator that the whole series in general is starting to come to a close. In fact, I already think after season five the show will end, but... That's a whole nother bag of tricks altogether, but if it shows if you're getting rid of main characters that the show's probably coming to a natural conclusion, so we'll have to see on that. This is all, like I said, this is all with the caveat that Janine did die in the bombings. If Janine is still alive, then it throws a lot of this out the window, but anyways, 
June is walking around looking for Janine. She doesn't find her at all. But who does she run into while all of these eight officers are running around? Because remember, right after the right after the bombings, a 24-hour ceasefire ensues, and a lot of these contested areas now get aid and healthcare and all that other stuff. Who appears as one of those eight officers? But Moira, who runs right into June in the middle of Chicago, and then bam the episode ends and i'm just like holy shit i wasn't expecting that at all i'm trying to remember in the last couple episodes if moira even mentioned that she was going to be traveling from canada to chicago to help with any aid that was going on i don't think they revealed that in previous episodes because of the fact that they didn't announce the ceasefire till this particular episode so this is just a total surprise out of left field I think it fits Moira's character perfectly to be there in that moment in time. So I totally bought the situation and it blew me away. But while Moira and June get to see each other again after many seasons of never seeing each other. So I'm really curious to see what's going to go down in episodes six and seven. So I have to say what what has been a very quiet season up to this point in this episode really picked up for me a lot. I think what I, what I overall think of this episode is I thought it was a great episode. And the way that it ended I thought was very intriguing exciting it's got me super pumped for the next few episodes going forward too so i think that a lot of the build-up that this series has done for this season is now starting to come to fruition us as the audience are getting to reap the benefits so i think this year this season picked up tremendously in this episode and i absolutely loved it things i'm looking for for next episode what's going to happen with june what happened with janine did she die in the bombings and also what's going to happen between commander lawrence and commander blaine which is Nick, for those of you guys who don't know, but how is that all going to pan out? So a lot to look forward to in the next episode, and I can't wait to find out what the larger implications are going to be. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this episode of The Handmaid's Tale Talk for Season 4, Episode 5, titled Chicago. What did you guys make of the episode? What did you think about any of my theories? Whatever you think, feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know. So, that'll do it. Like I said, if you like what you're hearing and seeing, feel free to like, comment, subscribe, or listen to the podcast. I'll link all that down in the description below i truly greatly appreciate you guys coming by and talking handmaid's tale with me i've been bryce this has been the bankrupt hippo youtube channel and until next time have a great day